It's Thursday, April 2nd. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. We woke up this morning to some record-breaking numbers, showing just how many people in the country say they're suddenly out of a job. Those numbers are frankly shocking, and they may not even show the full picture. Then the secret national stockpile of the U.S.'s emergency medical equipment is running low. We'll explain what that stockpile actually is and why this is happening at precisely the wrong time in history. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Okay, the COVID-19 pandemic is a rapidly changing story with lots of moving parts, and we're going to help you sort out what exactly you need to know, starting with the three big developments of the day. And today, we've got a historic development to tell you about. All right, the breaking news, a record-shattering 6.6 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. That's that is more than twice that we saw last week. You know, these numbers are so devastating. You'll forgive me if my jaw's on the ground. You heard that right. Last week, more than 6.6 million new people filed for unemployment. That's twice the number of people who filed the week before. It's seriously hard to put into words just how unprecedented these numbers are. But basically, the number of people who filed for unemployment last week is about 10 times higher than the previous one-week record set during the 1982 recession, from before all this began. But what's even harder to explain is what the people who are filing these claims are going through. After last week's stunning unemployment numbers, you might remember we spoke with Katherine Edwards, a labor economist for the public policy think tank The Rand Corporation. And she pointed out a lot of people filing for unemployment are going to run into some problems. They're going to be met with a very difficult and defunct computer system. They're going to be met with long wait times on the phone. And for a lot of them, they're going to be met with rejection of the claim. Part of the problem is that the unemployment system is run state by state. And individual offices just aren't equipped to be able to handle this onslaught. Sure enough, over the last couple of days, we've seen reports across the country that offices are overwhelmed and are having a hard time keeping up with the backlog of requests for help. Plus, there are reports of super long lines in person and on the phone. So a lot of people who need help might still be waiting to tell the government about it. And finally, the massive stimulus bill we've been hearing so much about is supposed to help gig workers. But thanks to some confusion from the states, they still haven't been able to get help just yet. Some people might be falling through the cracks, which means they may have to wait longer to get the financial aid they need and are told they will get. If you're one of those millions of people who've recently lost their job, your state might be making new exceptions to get help to more people. So be sure to check your state's labor website and understand that wait times may be long. We're going to keep answering your money questions as the economic fallout of COVID-19 develops and offer resources to help you stay financially healthy. To stay updated, head on over to theskim.com slash spend smarter. Our second headline today involves whether the U.S. has enough medical equipment to get through this outbreak. Yesterday, President Trump was asked about a report that America's big stockpile of emergency medical supplies is almost empty. Is that the case? And if so, how it are you is, planning to mitigate because we're sending it directly to hospitals. Good for those hospitals, but not so good for the long run. So what the hell happened? And how did this stockpile dry up right when the U.S. needed it most? First, let's talk about what exactly this national stockpile is. It's called the Strategic National Stockpile. 
It's run by the Department of Health and Human Services, and around 200 people are in charge of keeping it maintained. The idea is that the U.S. has what it needs in the event of, say, a big disaster, like a chemical weapons attack. Eek. A lot of the rest of the details about the stockpile are secret. Where is it? Undisclosed. How many locations are there? Also undisclosed. Though reportedly they're strategically placed so that emergency medical equipment is never more than 12 hours away from where it's needed. What's actually in it? You guessed it, the specifics are undisclosed. Though NPR reports it's valued at around $8 billion and includes things like vaccines, prescription drugs, personal protective gear, and ventilators, aka the breathing machines that are in really high demand at hospitals right now. Which means the U.S. should be covered, right? Turns out, this COVID-19 outbreak is so big that even an $8 billion stockpile of medical equipment isn't big enough. The stockpile was built to be able to respond to a disaster in one place, or several emergencies in different places. But COVID-19 is a disaster happening at the same time nationwide. We started gaining warnings about stockpile shortages early last month, when the Washington Post reported that the face mask supply was never topped up after the H1N1 outbreak of 2009. Then governors from around the country started asking the federal government for all sorts of things from the stockpile, only to get a lot less than they asked for. Earlier this week, the governor of Connecticut said he was able to get 50 ventilators from the stockpile, but that after that, the shelves were basically empty. He literally said, quote, we're on our own now. And now that pretty much looks like the case around the country. So this mysterious national stockpile that officials have been relying on to get us through this outbreak is pretty close to gone. So what now? Well, for one thing, now states are having to compete for what's left. Here was Trump yesterday. I tell the governors, get it yourself if you can from your local companies and your local warehouses and factories. If you can do that, you should do that. But this kind of approach has some critics. Earlier this week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo seemed frustrated when he explained how the process works. We all wind up bidding up each other and competing against each other, where you now literally will have a company call you up and say, well, California just outbid you. It's like being on eBay with 50 other states bidding on a ventilator. States are also getting creative, especially states with money. For example, Massachusetts just obtained more than 1 million N95 masks from China, thanks in large part to the owner of the New England Patriots NFL team, who dispatched the team's private jet to pick up the masks and fly them home. Not every state can do that. So many could be left waiting for American companies to start using their factories to produce masks or ventilators. A lot of businesses say they're on it, and equipment should be coming off conveyor belts soon. But with the stockpile running low and the peak of this outbreak predicted to arrive in two to three weeks, that painful and increasingly urgent waiting game is many states' only choice. Which brings us to our third big story of the day. It's been a rough week for Florida. First, it got on the bad side of everyone when people saw pictures of packed churches and beaches over the weekend. Then cases rose by a thousand in a single day. All eyes were on Governor Ron DeSantis, wondering why he hadn't declared a stay-at-home order. And when he finally did yesterday, the next question was, what took him so long? 
Now he's got a new problem that looks a lot like an old problem. We're talking about cruise ships. Cruises started to look like a really bad idea starting in February, when the world watched flummoxed as the Diamond Princess dealt with a massive outbreak off the coast of Japan. Since then, California has had its own cruise ship drama when a ship waited outside Oakland, hoping to dock. And last month, Florida held two ships offshore to double-check that no one was infected. And now the latest cruise ship story is unfolding. Two new cruise ships came here all the way from the Panama Canal to try and dock off the coast of Florida. They've been begging for permission to drop their anchor in Fort Lauderdale for days. Problem is, there are outbreaks on the ships. Four people have died, two of whom had tested positive for COVID-19, and over 100 others have reported flu-like symptoms. Some say they need medical attention. The ship kept asking Latin American countries if they could dock, but kept getting turned down. Then they turned to Florida, and Florida's governor said, no way. He said he would send medical help to those on board, but that he wouldn't let anyone disembark. I think these are a lot of these are foreign nationals, and we want to make sure we have the beds available for the folks here in southern Florida. Local officials chimed in to say they didn't want passengers to crowd their hospitals. But then President Trump weighed in. You know, I'm going to do what's right, not only for us, but for humanity. I mean, these are two big ships, and they have a lot of very sick people. I'll be speaking to... I'll be speaking to the governor. Now it looks like those ships will get to dock. This morning, Governor DeSantis had a change of heart and told Fox News that passengers would be allowed to return home with the help of the Florida National Guard. Foreigners will be bused to the airport to fly back home. The details are still being worked out, but port officials have given them a tentative thumbs up. But those aren't the only cruise ships dealing with COVID-19. Another ship, the Coral Princess, is headed to Fort Lauderdale too, with at least a dozen COVID-19 patients on board. But it's unclear whether they'll be allowed to dock. And the U.S. Coast Guard has made clear this week it's not going to evacuate everyone from ships waiting to enter the southern Atlantic coast, even those who are sick, that the healthcare system is just too overwhelmed. Instead, it's telling certain ships with more than 50 people on board to prepare to care for sick people on board just in case. Cruise ships might seem like an obvious no-no now that the federal government is telling Americans they should avoid all travel. But keep in mind, some of those warnings came out as ships were already at sea. And even though cruise operations have paused amid the pandemic, those ships still need to find a place to go. Carnival Cruises alone says it has more than 6,000 passengers still at sea. The question of how best to handle these ships en masse is still being figured out. Like we said, there's a lot happening right now. To keep up to date on the latest news about COVID-19, head on over to theskim.com slash COVID updates. All right, this pandemic is affecting us in a lot of different ways, including your finances. And we want to answer some of the biggest money questions you might have when it comes to what COVID-19 could mean for your wallet. Today, we want to talk about recessions. It's a scary word that's being thrown around a lot lately, with the economy taking hits as COVID-19 continues to spread. But what exactly is a recession? Well, your econ teacher might have told you that it's when a country's GDP drops for two quarters in a row. But a lot of times, like now, things can get bad way before those stats come out. 
So the more legit definition is when there's a big decline in economic activity that lasts a few months. Who actually calls a recession? The National Bureau of Economic Research. Then it's their jobs to let the rest of us know. To be clear, as bad as things are, they haven't called it yet. But getting prepared is never a bad idea. This morning, we hosted a live online presentation called Recession Skimmed. We explained what recessions are, why they're a big deal, and how you can be prepared for when one comes up. You can find it at theskim.com recessions. We've also linked to it in our show notes. Okay, we're pressing pause on the latest developing stories to talk about World Autism Awareness Day. About 1% of the world's population is on the autism spectrum. In the U.S., about 1 in 54 people are. And for the past 13 years, the United Nations has celebrated the rights of people with autism on April 2nd, today. One way to honor the holiday during this time of social distancing is by hosting a window walk. You might remember a story we told you earlier this week about New Zealanders putting teddy bears in their windows to entertain people walking by. Well, some towns are encouraging people to put puzzle piece-themed artwork in their windows for a similar reason. Here's an organizer of the event in Saskatoon, Canada. We thought this would be a way of connecting our community and raising awareness about autism. That's a good reason to press pause. No matter your situation, sometimes you just need to press pause. And every week, we're sending out an email with some of our favorite things to help you take a break. To sign up, head on over to theskim.com slash press pause. Before we go, we want to tell you about something we heard on our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. Sheryl Sandberg literally wrote the book on resilience a few years ago. And now, as we all face a more uncertain world due to COVID-19, Cheryl told us that resilience is not only key at the workplace, it's also key to navigating and leading through a crisis. Here's her advice on how to build resilience both personally and professionally. You build it by recognizing that whatever you're going through almost certainly is not permanent. And that applies to the very worst things you go through. The second is, and this is a hard lesson, but remembering that things could be worse. Thinking about how things could be worse is a way of feeling grateful for what you have. And that, along with remembering that whatever state you're in is not permanent, are ways of building resilience. You can hear more from Cheryl on our most recent Skim from the Couch episode, brought to you in partnership with Sephora. And that's all for Skim This. Remember, we want to hear your shout outs. Maybe it's a message for a friend working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic or a loved one who you can't physically meet up with right now. Give us a call at 646-461-6370 and leave us a voicemail. Also, heads up, Skim This is one of a number of podcasts being featured right now on Apple Podcasts under the COVID-19 Essential Listening Collection. The collection features a bunch of other great shows intended to help you get through this time and help you stay calm. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts.